0: Great and mighty God, the Living Word, Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is to be able to speak to you tonight, Lord. Be able to entreat to come before you, Lord, with our our requests, our petitions, what's on our heart, Lord. We, I, I know that you already know these things, Lord, but but you still want to be asked. You want to you want to be requested of. We have many needs amongst your body this morning, Lord, this evening, not just in not just in our spirit of needing to be fed, Lord, but even in our physical sense of healing and, and encouragement for our spirit and, and even providing for our job and, and all those many needs, Lord. But, but everywhere we look, Lord, we find you able. Everywhere we look, Lord, we find you faithful to your promise and, and willing to, to produce what your word says, Lord. And we are so very grateful, Lord, that, that you won't leave us alone that you won't leave us just out on our own, just twisting in the wind, wondering what could happen, what might be. Lord, there's so many blessings and benefits that are available for a believer tonight. And I pray that we would not live amongst the weak and beggarly elements of this world, but Lord, we would be able to walk in the freedom of life with you, our God, our King, our provider, the, the, the feeder of our soul. And we, we want to say how thankful we are, Lord, that you're willing to come tonight and speak to our hearts. To lift us up higher in you, Lord, to to, to, to to set our our lives and our and our memories straight, Lord God. There's things that it's easy to get a misconception of something or a, a misunderstanding of what something means, Lord. But you are still the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, Lord, and it, you're the one that gives revelation. And it's up to you, Lord, to make sure that we're believing the right thing, Lord. These aren't my thoughts. These aren't my ideas, Lord. This I believe comes directly from you, for it comes directly from your word. And we've been taught very clearly that heavens and earth will pass away, but your word never can fail. It cannot change. And if it's, it's just as good tonight, I believe with all my heart, is when you had it written down all those years ago. For you are the same God. It was there then, Lord, that's here tonight. And I pray tonight as we sit in the ministering of your word. And as that seed is coming forth and, and as you water the word with your presence and your spirit, Lord, I pray that as that it finds good ground that we wouldn't hold back, that we wouldn't put up barriers or that we wouldn't shut doors in your face, Lord, but we would sit here tonight, that we'd swing open every door, Lord God, we would just simply let go and sit at your feet and let your word change us. We do not want our own thoughts. We don't want our own ideas. We're not a denomination. We're not an organization. We have no creed but Christ, no law but love, no book but the Bible, Lord. This isn't man's ideas, Lord. This is the Holy Ghost moving amongst his body, Lord. If it's not, Lord, we might as well go home. But I pray once again you would show up and vindicate your word by bringing it to pass right before our very eyes once again tonight. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless them for their faithfulness, Lord. Bless them for the the sacrifice to drive all the way out here, Lord. We didn't come to a building. We didn't come to see a personality or a face or any of that such, Lord. We come to see the most high, Lord. We come to sit in your presence once again with those of such like precious faith. Speak to us tonight, Lord. We surrender all that we are, both the speaker and the hearer, Lord. Fall upon us here afresh tonight in your holy and precious name. Wonderfully lovely name, Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. If while you're standing, if we can turn in our Bible, I'm trying to find a good place to start here, that seems pretty loud to me. I keep pulling my microphone back. I don't want to blast you away, but it, it does help for me to be able to hear it. That way it doesn't hurt my my voice. So God bless you tonight. If you turn over to Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter 4 Do you love the word of the Lord tonight? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 would be still carrying on that that same thought that we didn't even didn't even you know get our toes wet with the water on Sunday trying to, uh, to break into what the Lord has for us and that who is this Melchizedek and as I told you on Sunday that that uh, we we're, we're, I am preaching one of Brother Random's titles, and I told you then that it's a very special sermon to me. It means a lot to me. I believe there's a there's a lot packed into that one sermon. And if you've not heard it, or if you've only heard it twenty five to fifty times, please go listen to it some more. It will really really encourage you. I, I've heard it. I don't know way more than that. But every time I go back and I hear it, I'm thinking, man, I must have never even heard this sermon before. And there's parts of it I could even quote to you, Hebrews chapter four. Chapter 4, verses 12. For the word of God is quick. Thank you, brother man. For the word of God is quick and powerful. Now, I want to just stop right there just a minute. It's quick and it's powerful. Many people, they they would ask you uh, about their prayer life, and and they bring a, a request and a petition before the Lord, and they think, well, I've been praying for days weeks, months, and I just can't, just can't get an answer. I just can't get my request through. Even Brother Branham talked about when Sharon Rose had passed away that it felt like the skies were brass, that he couldn't hear through him, couldn't get through it. Now, God has promised to meet our needs, but God also has a way you must go. And if you've not walked that way, you will meet lots and lots of resistance. But in the truth of what God is, a heart and life fully surrendered to God, I believe he is just as quick and just as powerful as he's ever been any sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We'll let you be seated right there with that tonight. Now, <clears throat> I know I spend a lot of time, I quote this very particular verse quite a bit. It, it means a lot to me, and I, and I want to say that to you. Uh, there's been a lot of things in my life in, in years past that were hidden. And, and I've watched how Satan comes at me and, and how he wants to keep things buried and, and not confessed and, and, and not out in the open. He wants to keep it in the darkness. And as long as it's in the darkness, it has power over you. It has power over As long as it's hidden, it has power over you. It's not meant to have power over you. You're supposed to have power over it. You believe that tonight. You're meant to have power over it. So, and I'll say this just, I didn't know if I'd mention this, but <coughs> we were at the fair the other night. My oh, goodness, that seems really loud. We were at the fair the other night and there was a, 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 a fellow giving a little uh, little street exhibition or a street, uh, you know, just a, a display or whatever you want to call it. He was an escape artist. Now, and one the last trick that he did of the evening was uh, he had a straitjacket put on him. Now, he himself put the straight jacket on it, and I, as I watched this, I thought it was very interesting. He himself put on the straitjacket, you you're with me, he put it on, but he had to have help to buckle it up. And then on top of that, he, he let them put a 50 foot of chain on him, put around his neck, and they just looped and looped and pulled tighter and pulled tighter and pulled tighter and pulled tighter. Now, I think uh, we've shared a lot in the last twenty months, what gives Satan traction in our lives? Little burrs, little personalities, little complex, little things that uh, you know, Hebrews would call it that sin which does so easily beset us. And all sin is, the Bible teaches, is unbelief. Sin is unbelief. In its root core, sin is unbelief. And, and Hebrews deals a lot with unbelief. It, and as far as even that, that, that chapter before, the evil heart of unbelief. And, and you think about that, someone that wouldn't believe God, God would consider that an evil heart. And that's a harsh statement. But a heart's supposed to be rendered to him. Joel, I'm pretty sure it's Joel that says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Uh, the renewing of your mind, the, the dying daily and, and surrendering constantly all of my life is because we're all trapped in the, the realm of this flesh and the stickiness and the weakness and the, and the struggles that we have um, and obviously not one of us live outside of it tonight. All of us are, are bound between these, I don't know if you can call them four walls or or whatever you might want to call it. So each one of us, even the prophet would tell him, my own greatest enemy lives between my two elbows, my own greatest enemy. Now, Um, you, You were never meant to be bound down. You were never meant to be discouraged. You were never meant to have a complex on you. You were never meant to have any of those chains on you. You were never meant to be sick. You were never meant to be sick. Do you believe me tonight? You were never meant to be sick. You know, we kind of barely touched on that Sunday about that picture that God took of to you. And I got to think about that over the weekend, how powerful. If I could lock my faith onto that picture, I, I just over the weekend was kind of fellowshipping on it. And the Lord was dealing with me about that picture that, because, you know, again, your, your eyesight's okay until it contradicts this. And we even share that quote to you that Brother Harold Hilderbrand said, that even Brother Perry Green used to always say, I'd rather believe what the Word of God says about me than even what I think about myself. Keep that in with what we're thinking. I'd rather believe what the Word of God says even than what I think about myself, my mind, my mind, my when I think about myself. So, as you're born, and each one of us is born in this world, shaped in iniquity. You're born speaking lies, and that's just a mark of sin and that curse that's put on the human race. But, but it's all meant to be a purpose. Yes, God can take that worst thing and He can use it to His glory. Do you believe that tonight? Yes. Worst thing you ever did, biggest mistake you ever had, the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, you know, uh, the battle where you got knocked down the most. God can use that for His glory. You imagine the testimony that come out of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah their testimony after they walked out of the furnace of fire. You know, the Bible talks about that they were told to go get the mighty men, the mighty men. I guarantee each one of us right here tonight, if you were to look back over your life and think of the worst thing that ever happened to you and you hold it right there in your mind. And you're holding that. I'm going to call right now the worst thing that ever happened to me. And yet at this moment, uh, the most mighty men in America walk in here, grab you, bind you, and walk you right into a furnace of fire. Would you consider that worse and the worst thing that ever happened to you? Anybody? Because that's supposed to be certain death. Unless God intervenes, that's supposed to be certain death. So, you know, we all, we all have differing, you know, hard battles and hard scars and, and things. Some of them are physical. Some of them are spiritual. Some of the things you can't see, the kind of complexes and fences that's been put on us that are meant to chain and wait and hold us down and, and keep our arms crossed when they're meant to be held out wide. And that's all a mark of seeing. That's all a mark of unbelief. That was never meant to be that way. You were always meant to be free. Always meant to be free. And now, as we've looked at whom this particular name of Melchizedek, and and you look at the names of God as you work your way chronologically from Genesis 1, moving toward Matthew 1, and he would be called Jesus. Isaiah prophesied of him, but he didn't say the name Jesus. It was until Gabriel come down and said that name, and then when a human testified of that same name, it brought another human back to life. That same name no other name I don't know what kind of Bible you have but have you ever read where any other name brought someone back to life just by saying it just by saying it and and there's so much power in that name so much power in that name. So even even to the very beginning, as God would want to express his attribute so that us, a human, could to have access or have an understanding or a grasp in reality or a good picture or a good, a good thought or an intent to get to figure out what God is. And, and I'll share it with you just a, a few weeks ago. I was able to, to testify with a friend of mine. I was able to share it with him about the serpent seed and about water baptism and spent about two hours and a half or so with him. And I told him if I had more time, I could tell you who God is. And he's like, I got all the time in the world. Tell me who God is. So if you're raised from a Catholic idea or, or any other, uh, you know, I just run through the gambit of all the denominations, what they say God is, but if you were to look back at any one of those, even if they started in truth and actually had a, a move of God, such as the Ephesian age or Luther's age or even John Wesley's age, you have your Lutheran and that beginning, that seed of God and that life, stepping forward, the coming forth of the word, jump up to Wesley's age and the Methodists and all that it was, a seed of God, a move of God for the day But they went so far, God keeps moving and they stopped right there God couldn't express himself in just the, the just shall live by faith he couldn't tell you everything about himself in the just shall live by faith he wants you to know more he wants you to know more there's never been another ministry uh, such as this seventh church age messenger in the latest CNA that proved that proved before hundreds of thousands of eyewitnesses that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he's still a healer, that he still raised the dead, that he still opens the eyes of the blind, restores the deaf. It's the same God. There's never been another one like what just happened in our day. We sang that song earlier. There's never been a day like this day. Nothing but the truth. Never been a light that shines this bright as this day. And you have the paradox of it being. Uh, we read that to you Sunday from Isaiah 60. There's never been darkness before like this day. Never been a darkness. The Bible has to go so far as to say it's a gross darkness. It covers everything. Never meant to be that way. Light was always meant to shine. You, you understand, you see that quote that I that I shared to the uh, WhatsApp group right before church? <laughs> Excuse me, that that struck that struck my heart so much that the light that's present in our day is so much greater than when he said, let there be. So much greater than he said, let there be. Now, how can this possibly be? God does not change. Nobody can be accessed. More access, you see more God. More visibility, you see more of God. Say, for example, in just a very simple and plain basic way, I would guarantee, I would hope that at least everyone in this room would say, in just the last year alone, my walk with the Lord is so much dearer and sweeter than I ever dreamed possible. If you cannot testify of that, we got a problem. Because it should be growing sweeter and sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. So if even your relationship and your walk with him is growing closer, and perhaps you could even say, I see him clearer now than ever before. Yes. Same light, same eternal light, same eternal God. What's changed? The access. Yes. The access has changed. So we we were kind of fellowship with this before church, and it ain't even in my notes, but <clears throat> if... If God, well, this actually is further in the notes, but if, if God would have a seed, just simply, if God could have a seed, and you think about that and you thought, you can just you know, group that with Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, and you think about uh, if a tree, well, let's say just a, if a dog, just a basic of sense, if a certain type of dog would have a child, what kind of dog would it be? What kind of species? What kind of a species? Whatever the parent was. If a fish would have an offspring, what kind of fish, what kind of a species would it be? Whatever offspring from. So I was sharing this with the boys coming to church that if if I if you could consider me a good man, if you could consider me a good man, and, and I never had any children, and I had you know actually being a good man, so the Lord Jesus would look at me and say, that's a good man, I, and, and that was it eventually i'll die eventually i'll pass away barring a rapture eventually this good man if you could call me that will cease to exist but what if i had kids and what if the same good man had good kids that become good men and keep going and keep going now now this is just a just a rough base comparison but what if god what if god could have an offspring could have a spin out. Now it's different than, than you know, obviously, I, I didn't want her, my daughter is not my wife. You understand there is a difference in the natural aspect versus the spiritual aspect, being that we are literally bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, spirit of his spirit. See, there's a more important thing right there spirit of his spirit. God is spirit. He took a part of himself and he made himself. So if God made something else of himself, what would it be? Not to be worshipped. There's only one worthy of worship. Only one. You agree with that tonight? There's only one worthy of worship, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are the bride of Christ, what are you tonight? This isn't a situation um, that Sam Parker, a human, married Bethany Young, another human, this is, so that's the, you know, you're just your, your, your roughest, broadest comparison. This is God the creator separated himself so that he could have a mate. The creator. Now, if we only, and we, we never have enough time, just never have enough time. If, if we looked at just what Adam and Eve knew him as, they only knew him as the creator now God did not predestinate sin please don't ever misunderstand me God didn't predestinate that you're going to do this but the order is a permissible of God and God has no problem putting you on a free moral agency for you to choose Joshua said choose you this day if you'll serve the Lord he said me and my house we will choose the rest of them said no thanks they saw the Red Sea party I saw, said, I'm getting ahead of myself so you understand what in that, in that creator sense that they only knew him as a creator they didn't know him as a lifter of their head you, you ever experienced the peace of the Lord? You, you ever experienced that, the peace of the Lord? Now, we have our struggles. We have our trials. We have bad times. We have good times. But you ever felt something slip in where no matter what was going on, a peace swept over not just your body but your spirit, and you felt yourself calm down? Adam couldn't know that. So do you tonight, do you feel loved of him? In, in all of his attributes, as a redeemer, as a provider, the provi- you hear me tonight? As your provider, as your healer, as the lifter of your head, as the one that sits closer than a brother. These are ways that Adam could not know that expression of God. And, and God allowed, he could have stopped Eve from ever doing that. You understand that. But in that, you see the very heart of God. He said, that's my character right there. That Adam, who was perfect, who knew no sin, who was very, very perfect, said, I will take her sin to save her life. And he took her sin to save her life. Adam was not deceived. The Scripture teaches that. Adam was not deceived. He didn't walk over. He will not ever say that, that the serpent beguiled him. Never. Never said it beguiled him. No, he knew what had happened, and he knew how to save her. And in that, we get a idea of what the character of a Redeemer looks like. Now, it meant his very life. Not the next day, but days later, however many years they started counting when they left the garden, but it meant his life. It meant his life. And if you jumped over the New Testament, the way Paul talks about how that a man should lay down his, wife, his life for his family, give his life for his family, whatever it takes, whether it be working or, or to actually lay down his life to defend, and you see that same character aspect of God, even in that statement. So to know him in such a way as he's working his way forward. And like I said, in the, in the names of God, being the I Am, being Jehovah, being all those things, coming up now we walk up to a character expression of one called Melchizedek. Now, uh, and, and i if, see if I can find it real quick. There, there's a quote that I wanted to read to you. It's not there. Don't have it. Oh, well. I do. Here it is right here. He's reading that from... Uh, um, was that? Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, who met Abraham, who met Abraham after the slaughter of the kings, returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. That's what he did. He blessed him to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness abraham paid tithes to melchizedek now if you when you look into it further you understand how that's accounted or imputed to him for righteousness he says that he gave a tenth part of all first being first being you see the way that that hebrew's records that by interpretation king of righteousness and then abraham pays tithes to this melchizedek And it's imputed unto him for righteousness. And even so, years later, uh, three generations to, to three generations later, Levi comes along and is imputed, is accounted for or imputed, righteous for what Abraham did in Melchizedek. Through that faith and through that promise and seeing what he did in such a heart that it was so done that that man was accounted for it as well. That Levi, and it's only said that Levi was the one that was accounted for having paid loins, paid tithes in the loins of Abraham. That's an interesting statement. By interpretation, king of righteousness and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. He said without father, without mother, without descent, neither beginning of days or end of life, but made like unto the Son of God abideth a priest continually. Now it doesn't say eternally. It says continually. How long would it be effective for? As long as atonement is needed as long as atonement is needed. You have those that are saying now that because the lamb's off the mercy seat, that the atonement's over, the day of mercy is over. Not for his people. Not for his people. Well, because they, they, they want to do the 2 plus 2 equals 4. Well, if this means this and then this means this, then it must mean that. Not for his people. It, the Bible makes that very clear. Well, I'm, I, must, I must be able to take one quote and nail it down. No, you can take multiple quotes and see what he means and actually see what he means. So then he goes to paragraph 30. This Melchizedek that we're talking about, we're literally talking about the king, the king, your Lord Jesus. And right here in this moment, in this in this chronological area, he's called Melchizedek. Think of this great person. And again, this is just to, to bring to me, to bring to you a, an, a, a little bit clearer picture of who's here now. Because, again, the title is who is this Melchizedek, not who is that Melchizedek. You understand that's what that title means. But Brown makes that clear. He didn't say who is that Melchizedek. He said who is this Melchizedek. The one that's here. It's not a different person. Not a different person. So paragraph 30. He said, think of this great person, of how great this man must be. And he said, and now the question is, who is this man? Who is this man? Theologians has had many different ideas, but since the opening of the seven seals, the mysterious book that's been mysterious to us, according to Revelations 10:1 and 7, all the mysteries that's wrote in the book that's been hid down through the age of the reformers is supposed to be brought out into view. It's supposed to be brought out into view. That means you can see. Yeah, this isn't glass darkly. You understand? Uh, again, the light of Paul's day, not that William Branham preached anything different, not one bit different, but a greater understanding and a revelation of what was there. Paul would tell you, there are things I can't say. He said, I knew a man. He would say it differently than John. He's like, Well, you know, I knew a man, you know, probably 14 years ago, and uh, you're not sure if it was in vision or in a dream, in the flesh, out of the flesh, and I saw, what was taken up into heaven. You know the Bible. And he wouldn't even say that was himself, but it was himself. It was Paul. He wasn't talking about John there. So according to Revelation 10, 1 to 10, 7, all the mysteries wrote in this book that's been hid down through the age of the reformers. is supposed to be brought out into view by the age of the last church age. He said, how many knows that's right? Again, you had a, the church ages began with a prophet, ended with a prophet. Paul, William Branham, the ones in between were reformers. Now, to be a reformer for that age is very interesting when you look back at their life and God, what God allowed them to do, even in their life. Uh, is it St. Martin? I'm pretty sure it's St. Martin. That, um, that, that different people that were disagreeing, that were calling him, you name it what they called him, they he said, he, I'm pretty sure it's St. Martin, that he told him. he said, if, if my God is God, if he's God and if he's real, he said there was a tree. You had a hill like so. There's a tree that was leaning you know, down the hill. He said, you tie me right to this side of the tree. He said, you chop the tree down, and if it falls and crushes me, then my God's not real. That sounds like tempting God, don't it? Now you understand, they said the hill was like this. The tree was like this. It's obviously going to go downhill. They chopped the tree down. It rolls uphill And falls on them trying to escape. Isaac Newton would tell you that's impossible. Most people would say, wait a minute, that almost sounds like he's tempting God there for a minute. But these are just many of the testimonies. That man was not a prophet, he was a reformer. Isn't that amazing? What was available? So that's been hid down through the age of the reformers. It's supposed to be brought out into view by the angel of the last church age. That seventh star, that, that, that's uh, Revelation 10, 7 and Revelation 1, the, the seventh star of the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, which is William Branham. He said, how many knows that right? The congregation says, amen. He said, that's right, supposed to be brought. Revelation 10, 7 would say, in the days of the voice of the seventh angel messenger, when he shall begin to sound, when he shall begin to sound, these mysteries shall be finished. Finished. Revelation 10, 7. You can take your Bible, turn to it, read it for yourself, and if you believe the Word of God, if you believe the Word of God, you would have to say, that must be true, because every other man's word will be a lie, but that must be true. So if the seventh angel messenger was William Branham, and I told you that on Sunday, that the prophet said that that, that, uh, rapturing faith is on the tapes. Dig deeper. Dig deeper. John, eat the book. John, eat the book. Eat the book. Eat the book. Let it wash you. Let you live in it. Live in it. All the mysteries of the mysterious book is to be revealed to the of sin, messenger of that age. Seeing there is so much dispute about this person and this subject. He said, I think it behooves us to break into it to find out who this is. Now, there are several schools of thought on him. One of the schools are claims he's just a myth. He wasn't actually a person. Now, We've got many different, um, uh, we have former Baptists, former Methodists, former Catholic. Anybody ever heard in your denomination, whoever, ever heard that before? That he was, and I've heard, I, I say that because I've met some people that told me, yeah, we always thought he was just a priesthood, or we always thought he was a myth. Just a, uh, a lot of people, even a lot of you in the Bible say it's just an allegory. It's just uh, not even real. It's just tales of things like that. So, and, and again, people believe what they want to believe. They make it non-effect. They say that he's just a myth. He wasn't actually a person. You're building with me. You're staying with me. He, they say that he wasn't actually a person. The others say that it was a priesthood, or you could throw in just a priesthood. They trying to limit what it was, because again, the Bible comes along, and sometimes as God is, because you only got so much, you only got so much to, to, to be put down. So as He's moving along, if you don't have a revelation as you're walking through it, you'll lose it real quick. You look at Enoch. Enoch said, Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Enoch walked with God. Just a few chapters down, a few paragraphs down, it says that Noah walked with God. Differing results. One was meant to be a type of the foolish virgin to go through the tribulation, and the other one was meant to be a rapture. Both walked with God. Both had differing portions, differing amount of visibility, differing revelation about how much they could have. And in that, you find what Jesus said, there are some that are 30-fold. 60-fold, 90-fold, you have some lots, you have some Abrahams, all seeds of God, all seeds of God. <laughs> others say that it was a priesthood, that it was a Melchizedek priesthood. He said that's the most likely one that hold better to that side than they do to the other. Is because they say it was a priesthood. Now, if you, if we, again, I'm not as versatile as I'd like to be, but if you were to dig back into Hebrew culture and history what it meant to be a priest uh, in, or in an order, uh, whether it be a sect of the Sadducees or the Pharisees or, or any of those thoughts or ideas who' made and different things like that, what it meant to be a priest and how they would hold that and reverence that title, that office, that position, you follow me. So he, he says that it can't be that. It can't be that that he was just a priesthood. So you imagine that before the Lord Jesus come, before he come and give his price, before he proved to them that he's our high priest, they were looking at that that, that what they would maybe consider you know the historical. Uh, um, uh, the, the 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 document or or uh, play by play or or whatever they would call it as to a scripture, you know, but for them it's just their history. This is what God's done. This is what's God done. We have prophecies mixed into it, but this is literally the history of what God has done throughout all the way back to our father Abraham and even further back to Adam. It's glimpses of history, so they would say, well, "Sure, I, that makes sense. It must be a priesthood until the high priest showed up." You with me? Until the high priest showed up. Not like Aaron, very different than Aaron, this one that had showed himself to Abraham. And again, just to keep up, the the chronological uh, appearing of Melchizedek was before Aaron. Aaron come after Melchizedek. Aaron was meant to be a type in that priestly line, through priestly garments to offer sacrifice in that blood of bulls and goats for that dispensation under the law. But this priest that we're talking about, he says, it can't be that. It can't be that. It can't just be a priesthood. It has to be a person. He said, it can be that. The For fourth, in the fourth verse, it says, he was a person. You know, if it would have been taken down uh, verbatim, um, you, know, um, you know, conversation. If it would have been taken down, you know, okay? Keep talking like Scott's parents say, it would have sounded a lot like I am that person. So, in order to be a person, he said he was a person. He was a man. So, in order to be a person, he has to be a personality, a man, not an order, but a person. Now you understand that it seems like he's almost straining at something. Like you, you just keep going on and on and on and on, but he's showing you access. He's showing you access, and and many times, if you're as dull as I can be, sometimes he's got to just shake me and grab me, and you walk this way, no, come back. You walk that way, no, come back. Look at what it says. (laughs) Not an order, but a person. So he was not just a priesthood order, neither was he a myth. He was a person, and the person is, not was, is. You've got to be careful how you, uh, how you vocabulize an eternal thought, an eternal person, an eternal being. You can't use words like was, used to be, could have been, should have been, someday, no, exists in the present. Always was, always is, always will be. <laughs> the person is eternal. If you notice, he had no father, he had no mother, he had no time he ever began. Now, here's where uh, we, we've got you know, different thoughts on um, you know, those about who Jesus was. Whether he was a son, not God, separated. And, and we sh- I shared with you that, that little uh, video clip I heard a couple weeks ago. Uh, a Muslim was asking a former Muslim who was a Christian about how, that, how is it possible that, that Jesus could be divine. How could it be human sticky like you and me in a human flesh but without sin and yet be divine he said because you can't fit all of God into one body he said you cannot do it you cannot fit all of God into one place the same one who again don't let me worry you out on this fills all time and space fills all time and space so if you went right now to the bottom of the Grand Canyon he's there if you found the deepest abyss what is it the Mariana Trench supposed to be the deepest part you go there he's there David would say, David, a man after God's own heart would say, he said that, he said, if I were to make my bed in hell, he's there. If I ascend the most high, he's there. So you understand with me that he fills all time and space. Now, we touched on Sunday about those seven dimensions. What first, second, and third is, time, matter, space. What the fourth, we live in the fourth. What the fifth is, it's where the souls, um, or um, yes, where the souls, are the region of the lost are. And the sixth is where those that have gone before us, saints that have gone before us are. And the seventh is where that body is. But the man was taken beyond the curtain of time in that sixth dimension ahead of time. He said, I want to see Jesus. They said, he's up higher. So, that dimensional blend between the two as far as what you're accessing. He fills all time and space. He fills all time, and I'll throw in all space. See, I, I love this so much. And the person is eternal. If you notice, he had no father, he had no mo- mother, he had no time he ever began, he had no time he ever ended. And ever, I love this, This I, I've been listening to this message now for, let's see, 22, 24. 26 years to this sermon, 1996, the first time I ever listened to it. Maybe 95. Anything about that? But ever since I first heard this, it always grabs my heart. He said, Where's that? And ever who it was, whoever that was, is still alive tonight. Whomever that was, he's still alive right now. That's 4,000 years ago. Still alive right now. That same person. That same person is still alive right now. I love that. I love that. You give us, any one of us, a few more years, we'll pass away. We'll leave this mortal coil. We've, we're allotted so many years, yes, but you know, whatever my date is, and blessed be the name of the Lord. If it's tomorrow, if it's you know, 100 years from now, I don't care. Blessed be the name of the Lord, but I will, if, barring a rapture, there will be a day my breath leaves my body. But whomever this one is, he's still alive tonight. And we've, we've strained at the point of what eternal means. Even to the point of uh, where a lot of people, they mix up about an eternal hell. They want hell to be eternal. And, and we'll get to, no we won't, we don't have time. Uh, wh- wh- there, there was about, et- hell. see hell had a beginning. It had a beginning. Hell was created. The, the Bible even says hell was created for Satan and Lucifer and his angels. So when the Bible tells you hell was created, that tells you a beginning date. So whatever you want to start that at. If you want to start that at, um, I don't know, 0.0 A.D. Or that would be, be B.C. But actually they count backwards. I always mix that up. But you want to say that's when hell was created. You know what? I see, But it would have been before Adam. It would have had to been before Adam because Lucifer kicked out before Adam. So I don't know how to count that as time. But God does. So even if it threw back before time happened, it still was created. And Satan and his angels have to go to it. The sad part about that is he gets to take a lot with him. That breaks my heart. And if it breaks me, a human with all these flaws and imperfections, I can't imagine what it does to him. The scripture says he would that none would be lost. But the scripture is still true that Esau he hated. But Jacob he loved. But the scripture is also true he knew who Cain was. He knew that Cain was the seed of the serpent, a sexual affair between the serpent and Eve, and then just the same day or whatever it was allowable that she had a a sexual affair with her husband, and she she birthed twins. They were twins. She says, I received a man from the Lord. Creation comes from God. If any lady here today was to have a child, that comes from the creation of the Lord, not the creation of the devil because Satan can't create nothing. So that seed was implanted, but even still God knew who he was, that his dad was a liar from the beginning, a murderer, a thief, all these things from the beginning. He still brought his sacrifice before the Most High, and the Most High looked at it and said, if you'll do like Abel, I'll accept you. Like, Well, he would never accept a serpent seed. Right there, it proves that he does. If, if, if they turn his heart to him, if they fall into that headship of the Holy Ghost, But Cain's response is always Cain's response, no. Just like Esau, no. Always his response. So this one is eternal. He He had no time. He was ever ended. And whoever who it is, ever who it was, is still alive tonight because the Bible said here that he had neither father nor mother, beginning of days or ending of life. So it would have to be an eternal person. Then he says, is that right? The congregation says, thank you an eternal person so it could only be one person he's telling you something right there and you're like no we're just talking about Melchizedek no it's it's always only one person it's always only one person it can only be one person that's God because he's the only one that's eternal God now in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, if you'd like to read that sometime, I would like for you to read it. But he's working through the thing that I contend is he was God because he's the only person that can be immortal. And now God changing himself into person, that's what he was. No father, no mother, no beginning of life, no ending of days. If you'd have had more of a um, a a, 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 what do you call it, a commentary or, or uh, more more written down, maybe if Abraham would have sat down let me tell you a little more about Elohim And when when Elohim walked up to me in the cool of the evening that day and sat down, the tent would be not cool of the evening, but, but sat down and had dinner with him that night, he said he would have looked like this he didn't look like he ever started and I'm pretty sure he never ended, but he did walk up and it looked like his clothes were wore out walking through the desert, so God walked in human flesh before the body of Jesus was born and walked toward Abraham, God moved toward Abraham God moved toward Abraham. God could have, like that, been poof. Abraham could have been minding his own business, doing his job, whatever. And now this one's standing before him. But this one chose to walk toward Abraham. God always condescending, working his way down, working his way to you. No man seeks God at any time. God sought you. We love him because he first loved me. He said, now we find the scripture that many people teach that there's three personalities in the Godhead. Three personalities. This is where your Trinity thought comes from. They'll either you got differing views even on that. You have some folks that believe in the Trinity, that you have three different persons. Father's a person, the Son's a person, the Holy Ghost's a person. Then you have others believe that it's one person with three different personalities. Now, any clinical psychologist will tell you that's a schizophrenic, multiple, personal, multiple personality disorder, all those things. You're like, wait a minute, I'm serving a God that's got multiple personalities. What if he flips on me? What if he, what if he, what if he does hate me? What if he does not? One other one don't like me. Again, all of these things, all of these nonsensical thoughts Satan has threw in there for each one of us sitting here today, that I guarantee you there's at least one thing in your life. You're like, wait a minute, where did that even come from? That's not in the Bible. You'll realize you picked it up somewhere. And you're like, that's not even in the Bible, because the Bible says completely opposite of what I thought. Where did it come from? Satan worked that complex in. He worked that lie in. He worked that tainted perversion into your life and it put a chain on you. Because now you can't look at God clear. You can't look at him clear. <clears throat> Anyone want to look at him clear here tonight? Is that your heart's desire? I want to see. Him. I'm talking about this light that's been available in our day. The, the second verse that we don't have in there. It said there's, um, Christ is revealing himself. Now Christ is revealing himself unto me. He's opened my eyes so that I can see. His word has become a reality in this day. Not 2,000 years ago. Not even in Brother Branham's day. See, as we do this, as we're walking through this little series, you'll see that God is, is not even, see, what he did in the prophet's day is undisputable absolutely undisputable. You have many people out there that are trying their best to dispute. They're trying, they're even lying. If you look at some of the things they're saying, it's an outright lie on TV. Their banners, their tickers is a lie with no basis in fact or reality that if anyone would go back and show a historical proof that that never happened, the things they're boasting and proposing and it's not true, but yet they're still out there. You have all this nonsense, but it's not true because you still have hundreds of thousands of other testimonies of what God did in that ministry. You have video proof. You have FBI authenticated proof. You believe that tonight? So, despite whatever the the, your, the the critics would say, you can. We have that picture on our um, our slideshow. That picture there in 1950. That was not just taken uh, and just you know verified by National Enquirer. That wasn't any, by any uh, you know any tabloid or that, You know they have those all the time. That was done. It was authenticated by a man that authenticated documents for the FBI, and he had a signed, a signed statement for, it, and it actually hangs in whatever that library is and it's on our Facebook page but it's there science says that light struck the camera I mean knows that God likes to hang out with error God always backs up error God always profits and benefits error no no it's just me I get my hands down God don't have nothing to do with error and you, for the longest time, Wikipedia used to say, if you, if you search William Branham's name, Wikipedia used to say that, that he had a lot of success up until the latter part of his ministry and that he later on went off in his doctrine, and most people couldn't discern that because the angel of the Lord was still there night after night vindicating it. It actually said that. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're just, we're just, you know, uh, just a random reader, uh, and you're saying that the man is off in his doctrine, but your own testimony says that the angel of the Lord is there night after night, vindicating what's going on. So wait a minute, who's wrong here? Is that not nonsense? See, that's just one area Satan's fighting you. That's just one area that Satan's trying to throw doubt, trying to put unbelief your way, trying to get you back in those chains. But the truth sets free. I know we say this a lot, but the truth is what makes free. If you've never been bound in a complex, you don't know how valuable that statement is. If you've never been bound down with discouragement, depression, all these these things that Satan throws on you, you don't know how valuable it is tonight to be free. But he that hath the Son is free indeed. He said, a Baptist minister a few weeks ago come up to my house and said, I'd like to straighten you out on the Godhead sometime. And yes, I'm doing a lot of reading, but I'm trying to get down to something a little bit further down here. He said, I'd like to straighten you out on the Godhead sometime when you got time. He said, he called me up. He said, I got time right now because I want to be straight and we'll lay aside everything else to do it. He come up and he said, Brother Branham, you teach that there's just one God. I said, yes, sir. He said, well, he said, I believe there's one God, but one God in three persons. He said, repeat that again. He said, one God and three persons. And he said, I asked him, where do you go to school at? There's a Baptist uh, seminary that was teaching that then. And that's what they were teaching. It wasn't all pulled over in their normal school of thought back there in the 50s. <laughs> he said, he told me a Bible college. <clears throat> Excuse me. I said, I can believe that. You cannot be a person. He said, you know, period. I can't, I could can believe that. Who, you understand? What, what he said about, okay. So now, different conversation. You cannot be a person without being a personality. And if you're a personality, you're one personality to yourself. You're a separate individual being. He said, well, the theologians can't even explain that. I said, it's by revelation. And he says, I can't accept revelation. And all my life, I've struggled with that statement because I've never been Baptist. I've never been Catholic. I've never been Mormon. I've never been Methodist. So, I, And all my life, I've been taught about how God speaks through revelation. So when I first heard him say that, I'm like, how, how, do you, how, do, how, do, how do you get I don't understand so every time he says that I'm just like oh, wow so he said I said that there's no way for God to ever get to you you see it there then there's no way for God to ever get to you so by show of hands right here tonight has God ever got to you anybody anybody not through a book Not that someone tell you something you've heard from the most high. That the creator took time out of his day to teach you something. That's a revelation. He said, I can't accept revelation. Then there's no way for God to ever get to you because it's hid from the eyes of the wise and the prudent. That's Luke 10. Hid from the eyes of the wise and Matthew 10. Luke 10 and Matthew 10. It's hid from the eyes of the wise and the prudent revealed to babes, revealed, revelation, revealed to babes such as will accept it or learn. He said, I'd say there'd be no way for God to get to you because you close yourself off from him. The whole Bible is the revelation singular of God. The whole church is built upon the singular revelation of God. Now we're talking about you, the church, you, the body. Not a church as far as creeds and dogmas and organizations and denominations, but the body, the the body of God, his church that he has prepared, his wife, his body. He said there's no other way to know God only by revelation. And he quotes the scripture to whom the Son will reveal him. Revelation, everything is revelation. Not to accept the revelation, then you're just a cold theologian and there's no hope for you. Now, he said we find out that this person had no father, no mother, no beginning of days or ending of life. It was God. In Morphe. Now we're getting to what I'm trying to get to. Uh, The expression, the the attribute, that word in morphe means changing his mask. You understand? Those that have been along with that word, to change his mask. And I don't know if we, and he does right here next to it. I'll get down to that. It's the perfect example. Now, the, world, the the word comes, the Greek word means change, was used, changing himself, amorphous, From one person to one person, the Greek word there, immoraphate means taken from the stage act that, that one person is changing his mask to make him some other character. And that's the, the physical, more or lesser use of the word. He said, like in school, and this is a perfect way for you to visualize this. In school just recently, he said, Rebecca, just before she graduated, they had one of Shakespeare's play. And one young, one young man had to change his clothes several times because he played two or three different parts but the same person. You've been in theater. changes that Keep changing. I'm still the same person playing this role, playing this role, playing the Redeemer, playing the Healer, playing the Restorer, Jehovah Jireh, my Provider, Jehovah Nissi, my Banner, my Strength, my Comfort, my God, my Redeemer, my Lord, my Savior same one because he played two or three different parts but the same person he come out one time he was the villain when he came out the next time he was another character and the greek word in means changed his mask paragraph 40 that's what god did it's the same god all the time god in the form of the father the spirit the pillar of fire The same God was made flesh and dwelt among us in Morphe, brought out so he could be seen. That's a powerful statement right there. We're not talking about your neighbor. We're not talking about some actor, some celebrity, some governor, some mayor. We're talking about the creator. The creator. The Bible, Jesus would say no man has seen God any time. Jesus said that. No man has seen God any time, but it's the, the only begotten son that has declared him only begotten has declared him. So this is before that body was created. But we're still talking about the same one. He created a body, stepped into it. Now, I guarantee you, so we don't have time to jump to where Abraham, again, Elohim walked up to Abraham. Elohim, Abraham recognized him. He probably told Sarah, that's the one I pay tithes to. That's the one that fed me that night. He served me communion. You understand that? Melchizedek was the first Communion ever served. And you have people in the message. So um, I think the exact scripture that that talks about fasting and praying and they they would make the statement where, you know, why fast or pray? They asked Jesus, why don't your disciples fast or pray? And he said, why would you fast when the bridegroom is present? And they'll take different things like that and do the same thing with communion. There's no need for communion and they just kind of stretch it away. But because they say, because the Lord's here, there's no need for communion. Strange, very, very strange. But you can take it back to Melchizedek every time. Obviously, God is there. Abraham could put his hands on God. Well, you agree? He could have shook his hand. He could have shook and hugged him. And yet, God served him communion. And they say it doesn't mean anything. That's what God did. It's the same God all the time. God in the form of the Father, the Spirit, the pillar of fire, made flesh. The same God is the Holy Ghost, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Not three gods, but three offices, three acts of the one God. The Bible said there is one God, not three. But he said that's how. He said you can't get this straightened out and have three gods. You would never sell a Jew on that. He said I'll tell you that one who knows better. He knows there's only one God. He knows there's only one God. And a lot of folks would come to the realm and say you can't chop God up into three different persons and give him to a Jew. You can't do that. You can't say he's Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and take him to the Jew. They're like, you're a heretic. You're a pagan. You have many gods. Well, they call them multi theists multi-theist you have this god this god this god and, and that's what happened with the roman uh, with an, uh, is it constantine that that um that is constantine right okay the constantine he he didn't he didn't want a religion that only had one god cuz his religion had multi gods so that's when he blended in the roman the pagan babylonian idea with christianity and now poof you have the word trinity <clears throat> never existed before 200 something AD never existed this is from the messages the message images of christ We're talking about seeing God, having assets of God, God getting to you. This is images of Christ. Again, who is this Melchizedek? 1959, May 25th, images of Christ. He said, I believe that being an image of Christ makes you a Christian. Makes you a Christian, an image of Christ. Now, unless you you have the type where Paul said, he who looks in the mirror of the word. And he sees himself. But as far as uh, you just pull that apart from the side, what others look at you and see would be being seen in image of Christ. Not you looking down, but let's, let's just take it right there of that thought. Not a mirror, but others looking at you and saying, that's Christ. This is our everyone's end goal, right? Right, everyone? Everyone, our end goal is to look like him, to walk like him, to smell like him, to taste like him, to be completely like him. To be a Christian does not mean to be Catholic, uh, Mormon, uh, Lutheran. My goodness, I, I, need a, I need a big old thing to the point at that right there. It doesn't mean that. To be a Christian means to be Christ-like. He said, I believe that being an image of Christ makes you a Christian. It's not what we do outwardly. It's what's happened inwardly that makes us what we are. Now, um, well, I'll get down to that in a minute. It's not what we do outwardly. It's what have interest makes what we are. Then, therefore, if he is our image and we are in his likeness and members of his body, we should be images like him. Then our lives should reflect the image of Christ, not in our joining of a church or in our packing a crucifix or our emotions, but it should be in the living presence of the living God that's reflected through our lives. You understand the the warning, the, the rebuke that was given the latest in church age. You, you say you're rich. You sell these things, you're lukewarm. He said, I would you whether it be cold or hot. He said, But you're lukewarm, and you have you have no life, you have no fire there. They're as stagnant as can be. But that something changed. Something changed. It went from being a letter of a law to a presence. It went from being a letter of a law to a presence. Christ is light. Christ is life. He should be your life. He said that it should be the living presence of the living God that's reflected through our life. We had two Sundays ago, we had four baptisms. And in that, it's meant to be a cold, watery grave. That's what it's meant to be. A baptism is meant to be a cold, watery grave. And, and, and of course, a lot of folks say, can we throw a tank heater in? Can we do these different things to warm it up? It's meant to be cold. I'm not trying to give you hypothermia, but when you die... Your heat leaves your body. Best way to know if someone's dead, touch them, they're ice cold. Heat's left their body. Your your body is pumping out 98.6 degrees. That's just the emanate, the heat that you put out. But when you die, it stops doing that. That life, that light has left your body that keeps you warm. It's meant to be you died. That's what baptism is. You died. So whomever comes back up, it should not be the same person that went down. You understand? This isn't a joke. This isn't a, uh, one of them told Brother bram, you going to dunk me today, Billy? You just going to dunk me and just hold me under for a while? No, he said, you need to go back and give your heart to God. You're not ready to be baptized. It is meant to be a dying, that I died, and it's just an outward expression of an inward work. I died, and what came back to life was Christ and Christ only. Now, you would say this, and then you want this to be your testimony. But then as you as a, let's call it a new Christian, get back out and try to start walking in. And sometimes your walk don't look like Christ. You have to keep dying daily. You have to keep surrendering more and more of your life. Lord, I give you more. I give you more. The only way you don't look like him is if you won't surrender to him. You won't surrender to him. But if your life is surrendered to him, you will punctuate every word of God with amen. Every word. You won't come upon one word and go, mm, it'll mean that. It don't mean that. He didn't mean that. He's different. He's changed. No, he does mean that. Very, 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 very much so. Turn over to Philippians chapter two. I love the word of the Lord. let get me some old cheat stickers. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mind. This mind. So let's just take a little bit of artistic uh, interpretation for the moment. The being in in the beginning. The being. Let's just call him that. The being, the I am, in the beginning that said, let there be. This mind. Fast forward. The one that met and gave him, broke bread with him, Melchizedek. Fast forward. Elohim. Fast forward. Jehovah. Seven different names, of Jehovah. The I am. All, all these different things. In fact, keep fast forward all the way up to even past El Shaddai and all these different things getting down to the birth of Jesus. Now we're talking about him because it must be the same one, the same one that created it. And I'm saying it this way so you understand because Satan still has no problem with your mind saying just the son, just the son, just the son, a lesser being, a lesser being. But you understand, the same one that said let there be to be in this mind, this same one being in him. Let this mind be in you which which was also in, in Christ Jesus. Whose mind was this? You should automatically say the mind of God. It should be like the mind of God. So not the mind of another man, of another person, the mind of God. Let this mind be in you. So now we're talking about letting the mind of God be in your mind. Now, I just got heavy. Again, you're in the wheelbarrow now. Let this mind be in you. Let this mind be in you. Who being in the form of God, in the form of God. Now, I thought God was a spirit. I thought God was a spirit. We're talking about the body of Jesus. And no, we're talking about the person Jesus, who is a spirit, who is the way, the truth, the life. Same one. Same one. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That was one of the things they accused him of. They the two things that if you had to pick, the reason why they crucified him was he broke the Sabbath and he called himself God. He must die. That was their response. Not hear what he saith. That's what Mary said. Whatever he says to you, do it. That's what Mary said, a believer. That's what her heart said. And you have the most religious of the religious that there be saying, kill him. You see Cain's line even there. Thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Now, where does pride come into this? Uh, if you had, you know, typically in a, in a man's stature, and we'll just say a man, we'll let the ladies off the hook right now. But in a man's stature, where we have amount of pride that's in us, uh, you, we might would say is innocently can be a, a a pride in our work, a pride in the way we dress, the ride right? we take our take care of our car, and you know, start using it that that kind of of a lesser way, but still pride generally, unless you push it down, always wants to push you up. Well, you know, have you seen my car? Have you seen my job? Have you seen my resume? Have you seen what I do? And you see, did you know that this is what I've done? If you were to go to even give, say, for example, you go to get a job, and, and you start telling him, well, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and, and there's a certain amount of things you have to say to get the job. I get that. But there, I've seen others that we over the years, we've taught this a lot in construction, that guys that will sell themselves to you all day long, the best carpenter you've ever seen, I'm the best this, I'm the best this, I'm the best this, and I've done this, and I've done this. Years and years of experience, you put them to work, they can't do nothing. You lied. At the very least, you lied. But this one, who's the greatest, who's the highest, who's the most powerful, who's the oldest, made himself of no reputation. So where's pride in there? Not be found. No pride, no guile. No pride, no guile. Made himself of no reputation. You know the scripture talks about as you come into a to a, a banquet hall and um, how to. It, it tells you even the Bible tells you even how to seat yourself at a banquet. How if you're if you're uh, humble of another person, you won't right up. You will not walk right up beside the, the the guest of honor and plop down and say, "Here I am," because someone else will come along and say, "You ever know anybody like that?" walk right in the middle of the room plop right down the middle of the thing and they just want to take over the conversation (laughs) but a wise humble servant will sit at the least chair at the lowest at the lowest not puffed up no vanity none of those things no reputation he took upon him the form of a servant see now we're not even talking about someone at the lowest seat we're talking about foot wash flunky someone that washed the manure off your feet made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a serpent, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And in this, I always come to, uh, in my thoughts, one of the most paradoxical statements that you can link that with, he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. And I I still, my mind can't wrap around and fathom that statement that he, this one, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. That's nothing short of a paradox. This is God incarnate, learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And yet it's so easy for our flesh to rear up and say, you don't know what it's like. You ain't been there. You don't know what it's like. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what troubles I've had. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know. I had Bethany share that picture here recently on Facebook, on, on our, our, our church Facebook page. And to me, that is probably a very tame picture of what he looked like. Very tame, very innocent. That most medical doctors that describe through, uh, through technical study and, and years of experience of what different car crash victims and different things said, that he would not have even looked human. That they would have had to drag a mass of meat in there and he wouldn't have even looked human and that's just the physical he bore all my sins he bore all my iniquities he bore all my transgressions he bore yours too that was way worse than the physical but our flesh still say you don't know what you're talking about you don't know how hard it is see other flesh is an enemy to God he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross Therefore, God also hath highly exalted him. Jumped ahead. Hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. Have we missed anything? My imagination only goes so far so low and so high. I think that's got everything covered no name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that at every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and to the glory of God the Father to his glory turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 seems almost like it's slowed down for me just a minute praise the Lord Matthew chapter 7 (coughs) I made that comment Sunday Three different paths to heaven. I said two, but I think I can think of three. Now, just to make sure, I'm very clear that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only way. Now, I'll prove to you by the Scripture the different avenues of of, of, of how to get to heaven. Um, I don't have enough time to jump into Revelations and to clear up with you the first death and the second death and what that means to versus to being raised up in the first resurrection or the second resurrection being a a, a general resurrection versus a specific. But what we'll do is we'll take there in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21. (laughs) Um, Let's just start at 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Again, we touched this on Sunday. We just quoted it to you. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me. Who's the me? This is the Lord Jesus. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Three things. How many people do you know that have prophesied in his name? How many people do you know that have cast out devils? How many people do you know that have done many wonderful works? You know, this is Jesus. Do you think Jesus embellishes or exaggerates any? you think he only did, they did two wonderful works, and he's like, "Ah, let's call it many I don't need to exaggerate. He, they're coming to him and telling him these things. He said, yes, yes, you have. I'll admit that. Have we not cast out devils and in thy name, done many wonderful works? He said, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. These are not drunks. These are not drug heroines. These are not uh, murderers, robbers, thieves in the natural sense of breaking a law. These people are casting out devils. These people are prophesying in his name. These people are doing many wonderful works. So what's keeping them out of the kingdom of heaven? If you were to look at these persons' lives and say, as a template of a Christian, okay, by the fruits you shall know them, let's see, they're casting out devils, They're, they're, they're prophesying in his name, and they're doing many wonderful works, I think they'll get in. No different than I've shared this with you. If you have met um, Jacob before he became Israel or Saul before he became Paul, you would have said, that, those men are serpent seed. Hands down. One would rob you blind. other one would put you to death. No? Yes? No? So if you're looking at the it's a flesh and the hourly work, but again, God knows your heart. He knows where his seed fell. He knows where that seed is. But you still have this right here. These people are actually doing these things, but it's not... Him doing it. And by that I mean a a communion, a baptism, a Lord to them in a husband sense. You understand what I mean by that? He said, I never knew you. Let me prove to you what I mean by that. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He said, and he's talking about this, about the offense and different things that come to it in stripes and imprisonments. Um, He said, as unknown, remember, Jesus told them, depart from me, I never knew you. Paul is saying right here, of all these things, by the word of the truth, by the power of God, by the arm of the righteous, on the right hand, on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, and yet true, verse 9, as unknown, and it's italicized, and yet well known. And again, that doesn't italicize, but... As unknown, yet well-known. He wasn't famous. The whole world didn't know his name. We're talking about Paul now. Now we're talking about Paul. He, he, the whole world didn't know him. He might have been a thousand people that knew him. Maybe more than that know your name. But he said, as unknown, in a, maybe a natural sense, but if you look at your Bible, yours will italicize it, and you'll see that he's trying to make a very special and, and precious statement. And it's not just spent, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, no, no, yet well-known. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what he's calling you, yet well-known. We'll keep going. As unknown, yet well-known as dying, and behold, we live as chastened and not killed. Matthew, turn over to Matthew chapter 25 with me. Thank you, Lord, for slowing down the clock for me for a few minutes. Matthew chapter twenty five verse thirty one. This is the white throne. <coughs> when well, the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall all, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Now. In this, Brother Matt was sharing with me the other day that, that most people look at this white throne judgment as a white throne condemnation. That it's essentially one way ticket. You come before the white throne judgment, you're only going one way, and it ain't up. That they teach that that everything you've ever done will be done, made so basically to humiliate you in front of all those that are watching. This disagrees if you believe the scripture. And again, I say it like that because I can't make you believe the Bible. I can't make you accept it in your database as the only thing that's true. All I can do is keep reading it, keep reading it, and keep reading it to him. He said, then shall he set upon the throne of his glory. And it's up there, right? Paragraph 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations. And again, I don't think he exaggerates. And he shall separate them one from another. You ever seen, you ever, uh, you know, different guys have cut cows loose, have cut out from the herd and, and pulled pigs out from a certain herd or, or sheep out or, or you understand as far as separating. We got a big herd, we're only going to sell that one, that one, that one. You grab them, pull them out and take them away. That's cutting them from the herd. And he said, he shall, uh, and he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left hand. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. And I I went through and I was counting that up before church. How many times just in the book of Matthew alone? And I write that down. It's like fifty-one times. That what I said, Joseph? Where'd he go? 51 times, something like that. And just the book of Matthew alone, when Jesus says the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is where you're from. The kingdom. That's where you're from. We, we say this, that you're an ambassador of Christ, that you're not from here, that you're not meant to be loved this world because you are of love the world. But you're actually from this kingdom. That's the one I'm talking about. That that When I started talking about that, that kingdom, you should be going, that's my home. That's my home. I might have been having a bad day. I might have been discouraged and worried about. I'm going to pay the bills. I'm going to do this. I'm going to work this out. All these things, but when you start talking about my home, my joy comes up because I'm not from here. Then shall the king send them on his right hand? Come, you bless my father, inherit the kingdom, inherit the kingdom, prepared from you for you from the foundation of the world prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came unto me. <laughs> now, I'm going to stop right here and make this denote that's not bride. You understand? That's not the bride who he's talking to. So, this is where you've had songs over the years. Um, how they say, "Set another place at the table." There's been a, a soul that's come to God, or, or you know, my name last night was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life last night because I've gave my heart to God. And and you have God going, man, I sure didn't put enough plates at the table for all these people coming. No, no, He's telling you right here. And so as you, as we look to this, I want you to understand that that it comes from. See, all my life I thought it meant as long as you did something good to the bride. This is what all my life I thought this statement meant. He doesn't say that. See, we had a question asked Sunday about those that, 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 had, um, that never knew the Lord Jesus Christ, that had never been witness the gospel, had never heard about Jesus Christ. When they die, are they lost? Are they gone? Is there no hope for them? It, what kind of a God do you think he is? In your own mind, do so you think about all the junk that's been put there for years? What kind of a redeemer do you think he is? I just quoted to you, he would that none would be lost. Do you believe that statement, that he would that none would be lost? So he's not going, man, I wish I could have done something about that. Oh, there's a way. See, Jesus is the way. I, I don't want to shock you by saying there's, but, but Jesus is the way, but he's a God rich in mercy. He is a God rich in mercy. And right here is I'm showing you one of the ways in. Now, I don't want you to make this your life's ambition, and this is the only way I'm getting into heaven, so I ain't gotta believe nothing. I ain't gotta walk with God. All I gotta do is, you know, find somebody and give them a cup of cold water and give them clothes, and because there's that has a part of your fruit that's expressed, but that should not be your life's ambition. I don't care to believe what the word says. I'm just gonna do this and I know I get into heaven. At best, that's a penny. At best. So. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee, or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you've done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepare it for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger or thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not, unto one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away, into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. So, you would probably, uh, if we were to, if we were in the middle of a good debate, and you were to, uh, we were working things out, and, and as far as line by line the scripture, maybe you'd be willing to agree with me in this moment that the ones on the left hand, the goats, went to hell. What we just read, would you agree? Now, what again? What's in between eternal and everlasting? Eternal has no beginning, has nowhere to end. Everlasting will come to an end. So in that one last verse 46, those those on the left, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But you notice how it makes this very particular note. But the righteous unto life eternal. They're granted eternal life at the white throne judgment. It, that, that doesn't happen on earth. You understand, that's not... That's not, you know, you know, courthouse here in Newton, Wichita, you know, sits down, the king, the ancient of days, that's not there, that's actually on the other side. They're granted, that. that's after the second resurrection. That's when they're granted that, because of this. So, who's the one sitting on the throne giving this to them? Who's the one telling them this? It's the Lord Jesus. So, don't let it stump you if I tell you there's, there's more than a couple ways into heaven. Because it's still, there's only one way. But God has a a path made for redemption and for mercy to prove that he is a God rich in mercy. You with me on that tonight? So the the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is eternal life. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is eternal life. And, And I've shared that with you here just recently that if you're only in this room tonight justified and sanctified, you're one of the most dangerous people on the planet and not in a good way. Not dangerous to Satan's kingdom. You're a hypocrite. Your reproach, you'll bring, uh, you'll bring a, a reproach upon the cause of Christ. But once you've been baptized with fire, once that Holy Ghost comes in and your life is now being surrendered to it, that is the gift of eternal life. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is eternal life. John 1, he said unto those he give the power to become sons. Because they were sons. That's, the I'll call it the main way, that's the way I like the best. I don't want to fight that. So if I, if I get the Holy Ghost, if you get the Holy Ghost, let's just say that's the best way because it's right now. You're you're you pass from death into life right now while you live. This isn't when you go over there. And so and I've said I've said you know you've got the Holy Ghost here now, and your name always was in the Lamb's Book of Life. It wasn't written in the last minute. Uh, these on the sheep on the right hand, it wasn't written in at the last minute. You understand that it said that it was written there before the foundation of the world. You read the same scripture, that their names, the sheep that were granted eternal life on the, in the white throne judgment, that it was done, that their name was written down before the foundation of the world. That's what the scripture says. So then what about the token? I've shared that with you the way the prophet taught the token. And what the token would be in the original blood of bulls and under the blood of bulls and goats in the days of Moses and Joshua and Caleb. And Aaron, that, that, that they were going to have all these signs to come through to liberate the children of Israel from Egypt, to make them go. God sent a death angel. He sent an actual death angel through the streets of Egypt, killing every firstborn, through the streets, killing every firstborn. If he come to a house that did not have that blood across the doorpost, every firstborn is dead. I don't care if there's 60 in one house. I don't care if they get us, you know, all these people trying to hide in one house. Every firstborn died the Moses and the the, the the Israelites they were given a promise if you'll take that blood of that first spotless precious lamb and kill it and take that blood and put it on the door of your the, 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 the doorpost of your home you and all your home will be saved Again blood of bulls and goats you'll be saved that's what he told them that it literally spared them a death angel walking down the street you understand? I know we read this a lot. It gets easy and callous. It just, y'all, no big deal. A death angel. The prophet taught us that one can erase the planet just like that. One. And one walked through the streets of Egypt taking lives. What stopped him? Blood. And it wasn't just on the doorpost of the Israelites. It was put upon by Israelites who with hearts of faith that believed in that blood. It was put over the doorposts of others and they were spared from the death angel. Non believers, non believers. You hear me tonight? With the blood of bulls and goats. In our day, we don't operate under the blood of bulls and goats, but under the shed blood of the most precious life that's ever been slain, that does not dry up, that does not wear out, that does not give out or expire or just becomes out of effect. It will save until the last one is saved. So if you, as a believer, who has that blood on the doorpost of your heart, as a Holy Ghost-filled believer, can take that same blood and everywhere you'll put it, and, I, and maybe we'll get to it on Sunday, but in the message of the kingdom of the Redeemer, Brother Brown was using that, and he says that a lot about, he quotes that where Jesus says, these works that I do shall you do also, for I go unto my Father. Everybody's with me. But he also makes a statement going, on. Jesus said, but greater works than you will do, greater than these. And the Brother Brown would tell you that doesn't mean that we would do anything greater than bring the dead back to life. It doesn't mean that because he did everything. Said, you know, there's so much it's not even recorded. There's absolutely so much. So, as far as a human body, I guarantee it happened in his ministry. In the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry 2,000 years ago, I guarantee it happened. Legs regrown, obviously dead brought back, cancer's fallen off, leprosy falling off, you name it, it was done in that ministry. He said, It's not that you'll do anything different than that. He said, But that greater work is the ability to impart eternal life. This is in the message, Kids and Redeemer. Actually, it's in the message. That message but it doesn't like four or five of the message he said it's the ability to impart eternal life you know what that means that when Jesus said whomever sins you remit they're remitted in heaven, whomever sins you retain on earth are retained in heaven." do you understand what that means? That if you set them free, if you let them go, you with me? If you let them go, then let them go there in that Lamb's book of life where every judgment, everything is kept a track of and it's put down as a black mark against them. Can we find this in the scripture? His last words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They took the bread of life. They broke him into pieces and they murdered him. And his last words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In the scripture, it talks about those that the souls are on the altar. Your mind will go back to that scripture, and it says that the souls are on the altar are always crying, Lord, how long till you avenge us for those that have done this to them? And the prophet will tell us in the church, book, he said, you know, that's not bride. That's not bride crying vengeance. It's never bride crying vengeance. He said, the bride does not cry vengeance. I just read to you that quote from Jesus of Christ. You're going to look like him. You're going to sound like him. You're going to set them free like he did. Amen. He said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. My goodness. It's all standing on our feet. We'll stop right there for a night. So when the Scripture talks about living beneath your means or returning to the weak and beggarly elements, I know that in my own experience, in my own walk with the Lord, that the way Satan comes at me and tries to discourage us, like, can't you see why I'm happy? The way that he'll come at me, my goodness, try to discourage Depressed? You're not. You know everything ain't going right. This person maybe is against you. That person's maybe against you. Maybe this person says something about you. Maybe that person says something about you. All those different complexes, that junk that he throws at you, just to keep you all bound down and discouraged in yourself. But so when you can look at that scripture and keep all of those things, and, and to me, the word, what God does to me, and this is just maybe the way that my mind works,
1: that when I'm in those
0: those that muck and I'm in those, you'll call it the molly grubs these different scriptures start coming to my mind and, and I think sometimes that they're even seemingly random but then to me like a drawstring he starts pulling them closer and every time it just laces in just like that and I go from that one to I love him because he called first loved me to greater is he that's in me that's in the world and just moving from scripture and scripture like that and you see that Satan is still a liar I'm still redeemed Hebrews 4, as far as my rest, all that is settled. I know where I'm going. But if Satan can put a block of concrete on your life and smother you out to where you're either tired or you're discouraged or you're mad at everybody or you got a root of bitterness, any of those things, so that you can't do what God created you to do, and that's to shine the light of Christ. Now, and I said that about that light getting stronger. As that light goes from John 1, the word was made flesh. John a testified. They asked John, are you that light? John told them, I am not that light, but that light will come. So that light came, and the word was made flesh, and the word dwelt among us. And the word gave his life for us, and that sacrifice was made. But then the word was broke up into little bitty pieces, and he come back upon the church. And in this day, it's given a revelation and a clarity of what was in foundation of the world, so it's no longer just, you know what, I'm redeemed and I'm going to heaven, it's not just something as simple as that as as powerful as that is I am redeemed, I am going to heaven, I have eternal life but it's greater than that he didn't just come and walked around saying I'm a redeemer, I'm a healer and just never did it, see when he starts to operate in your life he starts operating in in your life in your life, in your life and that light is shining That light is shining. It's no longer just in one spot. It just starts to shine everywhere you look. And that's the life of God in each one of those redeemed sons and daughters of God. You see how it gets greater? Surrender more of your life to him and see what he does. One, I'm into all truth Lord pull us up real good and close to your side we thank you for keeping your word, we thank you Lord for, for still bringing it to pass Lord. you're still a healer tonight you're still my redeemer, you're still the one that provides for all my needs Lord, you're still my God and you still show up and prove yourself as such I thank you for that Lord you don't have to do that but I thank you for it Lord, for you're so good to us I pray for each one of my brothers and sisters here tonight Lord an extra special blessing as they go back out into the world to face the trials of tonight or even tomorrow, Lord, that that you would, Lord, let them know a little bit more of thyself that as you take this word that you're planted in our heart tonight, that you would continue to unfold it and, and unzip it as it were so that we could see more of you and more and more and more. We love you so very much. Bless my brothers and sisters. Bless them for their faithfulness to come out and hear you. I pray you would help them in all their troubles and, and their tests and their trials. I pray you would heal their bodies, that you would encourage their hearts and their minds, Lord, that they would go back out into the fight, Lord, with a renewed fervor, with a zeal, Lord, that they never had before to go out and start chasing the enemy down, pushing the fight to his gate, Lord, for it is a fact that the truth sets us free, Lord. And in your truth, we see who we are. We see what we're capable of, Lord. And Don't let us live beneath our means promise every redemptive blessing is on the table right now for your people. Help us to accept it and to put it to work in our lives Lord. Help us to use that spoken word power and start claiming what you have for us to claim in our life Lord. Help us not to to be found lazy or slothful or, or not being about your business Lord but for every breath that's in us to be living for you shining you Lord, eating your book. Draw us closer we pray Bless us as we go our separate ways. We appreciate your kindness and your most precious, lovely name, Lord Jesus Christ.